how would he act? What would he say? What would he do? Well, Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17, tells you what he would do, what he would say, what he would not say, how he would act. And not only does he tell us what Jesus would say and do, but the scripture is telling us that's what we do. Because as in Colossians chapter 2, Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And so the challenge is from this point till the day we die is to have an ongoing battle of which we will never surrender, never give up. And that is to say we will battle against ourselves, we will battle against sin so that Christ can work through us. And that is the, the call. When you're called to Christ, you're called to a lifelong battle, a fight, a war. Not one of which we sit back and we just sit and relax and try to be comfortable, but a war in which we are to engage not with flesh and blood, not some party out there, not some person out there, but the battle is always within our own heart, within ourselves. And so I bring this passage to you to encourage you to keep the battle going in your heart and mind, to pick up the shield of faith, to pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and let it be always at work in our hearts. And that is where we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 3. As we looked at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 4, is this admonition to put on and seek Christ. To seek those things above where Christ reigns, where he's seated at the right hand. Uh, to set our minds not on things below, but on things that are not on above. So how do we think heavenly? How do we live heavenly? Well, verse 5 through 11 gives us the metaphor of an executioner. A Christian is an executioner putting to death certain things in your life, certain things of your own body, of your own desires that are pertaining to things of this earth that will pass away. And so we are no longer dominated by these things. Verse 5 says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. These things are going to be judged one day. And then he goes on in verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And so this is a continual plea, an admonition. Recognize that this is not of Christ. And that if we are given to these things, then Christ cannot be at work in our life. If we as a church are given to sexual immorality, given away to covetous, if we're given to anger, if we're given to slander, if we're given to obscene talk, if we're given to these things, Christ cannot be at work. So we're to put him to death, identify it as the enemy that's in our own heart. And then we come to verse 12. And it's now the metaphor of clothing, putting off and putting on. If we're putting off these things, then what are we putting on? And that's where we begin last week of chiefly love. And so I'm going to ask that we stand as we read verse 12. Reading through verse 17. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbian, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. 
And if Christ is indeed all, then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. So, what does Christ look like? If Christ was here, verse 12, first of all, we would see God's view of you. Jesus would see you. From God's perspective. And what is God's perspective? That you are beloved. You've been chosen. You're holy. You're set apart. A church that is under the name of Christ. Following the commands of Christ. Is a very precious. Unique community. Unlike anything else. They are beloved. Holy. And chosen. And that is one of the reasons why we want to be committed. To seeing God's church reproduced in among every people group. Whether it is in the Middle East or whether it's in Toronto. Uh, many of you uh, remember Matt Hess. He came and shared with us and uh, as a church planner. And he was able uh, to give a report that they were able to see ten people get, or 11 people get baptized uh, not too long ago. And they were just rejoiced in this new church. And at the very beginning that there is this, this forming of a community under the name of Christ. They are holy, beloved, chosen. You are that. And so, consequently, if that is true, there are certain things that must be done. We want to show others Christ in you. And that was the second point last week, and it's really as far as we got. What is showing Christ in us looks like? And we talked about these attributes that was given to us there, as we keep on reading verse 12, that there is compassionate hearts. Uh, God, God, when we have Christ working in, life, in our life, when the Spirit is dominating in our personality, in our heart, in our agenda, the Holy Spirit, then there is compassionate hearts. And that's a very abstract idea. What is that concretely? Well, it's kindness. Just being kind to people. It's amazing how that can be the thing that sets people apart. Just simple kindness and then there's humility that when christ is in our life there is humility christ is humble it's amazing how god is humble through jesus christ and how in the spirit of humility he <coughs> became a servant became a servant to the point of obedience to death on the cross and and the humility of god through christ and so we talked about if christ is working in our life the holy spirit is working in our life it's going to be done with humility. And so uh, what does that look like? Well, humility is a very broad subject. Well, it looks like meekness. To uh, no longer feel entitled 
And that is probably one of the key characteristics of us as Americans. Everybody talks about certain generations. It's the generation X, generation Y, the boomer generation. You know what? I just think it's been every generation of Americans specifically. I say that as American, I love my country. There's a sense with the rights and freedoms that they now are rightfully ours as believers. You understand that when you follow Christ, you have the freedom of relationship with God. Everything else is sacrificed on the altar of grace. There's this meekness. I don't feel entitled anymore. I'm under the control of Christ. Christ can at any moment take away things that I feel rightfully belongs to me. But I no longer champion that which belongs to me rightfully. I champion Christ. Remember verse 11? It's no longer whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It's no longer whether you are a barbarian or a Scythian or a slave or free. I don't champion my freedom. I don't champion that I'm American. I champion Christ. He is all and in all. And so there's this meekness that comes with this. And then there's patience. And, and we talked about what that is. The ability to forbear is to endure injustice, is to endure injury. And then one of the things I brought out here is that this is primarily speaking about the church. People responding to one another in God's holy, beloved, chosen group. Why do I bear with someone in a church body? Because they're holy, because they're beloved, because they're chosen. God loves them. He sets me apart, and I'm to put on Christ. I'm showing Christ to people, chiefly among the church body themselves. You remember the context of this whole book? If you go back all the way to chapter 2, he has this prayer in chapter 1 that they will have the resurrected power, they would know the power. But in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those that lay at the sea and for all who have not seen my, me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged. He's struggling. In fact, we find out that he indeed suffers in chapter 1, verse 24, that he is suffering. He's filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, and that is the church being reproduced among the peoples. It requires suffering. And then he says, I, I'm, I'm struggling for you, that you'll be encouraged, being knit, knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are all the hidden of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why does he want the church body encouraged? Why does he want the church knit together in love? So that they can know Christ. Why is he struggling? So that the church knows Christ. So understand that as a believer in God's people, there will be some of the greatest sufferings that happens upon people who have the name of Christ. And you endure it. You endure it with love, with patience, because that's how we display Christ to one another. Do you understand that? That is such a hard truth for us. And one that has been lost in the system of, you know what, someone's hurt my feelings, I'll just go to go away. Our solution, when people are hard to deal with, 
here's our solution. How can I minimize my time with that person? Isn't that true? And that's why family's so tough. Because that is no longer an option. I live with them. What do I do? If they were in my workplace, I would just go to another cubicle. You know? But they live in my cubicle. What do we do? That is our tendency. It's tough. I don't like dealing with them. Let me limit my time. Because if we limit our time, I don't have to, I don't have to come to the end of myself. Any church... You are to come to the end of yourself. The solution is not to minimize my time with them because that is a, a solution that man does. God's going to orchestrate it so you have to work with them. You have to live with them. And the solution is not to get away, but to say, you know what? I've got to appeal to something greater than myself. I need Christ at work. And that is why marriage can be so hard. And once you feel like you might have a comfortable living situation, then up comes kids. Who are sinners also. And they're all around us. The point is to push us to Christ. Not to push us out of the home. Same in a church body. Our solution so many times is. You know what? I just don't like getting along with those folks. I'm going to go somewhere else. Okay, and, and, and it just robs us of Christ. It robs opportunities of Christ. If our goal is that we want to know Christ. More than anything else then don't be surprised when God uses everything else to get you to Christ, including things that are very miserable. But Christ is worth it. Christ is all and in all. And so uh, put on then these things. And, and so patience, what does patience look like? That's very vague, abstract. Well, concretely, we come to verse 13. Well, patience looks like bearing with one another. It looks like, well, you know what? If I've got a complaint against someone then I've got to learn how to forgive them. And so consider Christ. Consider the Lord. As the Lord has forgiven you, that is the measurement of how we forgive someone else. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And we ended on this simple note uh, that you will not have to forgive anyone as much as Christ has already forgiven you. You will not have to forgive anyone as much as Christ has already forgiven you. And we talked about how this is the, the, the gospel living in society that has kept society, well, not being evolutionist. Survival of the fittest. Okay, I've got more power. Knock you out. When we see civil rights movements infused with the Christian gospel... It changes things. The power of love, the power of mercy, the power of forgiveness is unique to the Christian faith and a community that bears the name of Christ. This needs to be the hotbed of it. And God will allow ample opportunity for us to forgive one another, won't he? He will give ample opportunity for us to bear with one another. He'll give us many opportunities to allow us to have complaints against one another. It doesn't take much to have a complaint against one another. So, that's all review. (laughs) Verse 15, let's go to uh, point number three. What does Christ look like? Submit to the peace of Christ thankfully. Christ submits to the peace of Christ, thankfully. And so when Christ is put on, when the Spirit of God is at work in our life, then there is this attribute of the peace of Christ matters. 
the peace of Christ matters. So I'm going to submit to that. And so notice the, the phrasing of this. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ. And let the peace of Christ. It has this idea of we're just allowing it to happen. We're, we're almost passive in this. It's the same with the word of God. Here's the idea. When the spirit of God is at work in your life, it is moving in your heart so that the peace of Christ matters. All that remains is for you to allow the peace of Christ to rule. All that remains is that the word of God allows to be soaked up in your life. It is moving in your life. He is moving in your life for the peace of God, the word of God, to have an influence in your life. Our job is to allow it to happen. I love how that's phrased, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So now, what does that mean? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then I think the clarifying um, phrase is the next one, to which indeed you were called in one body. So sometimes when we read this passage, we think, oh, okay, this means that I need to be governed by an inner peace of my heart. And so I should not do anything that causes anguish in my heart uh, that will disrupt the peaceful spirit in my life. Now, that's probably generally a good idea. But I don't think that's really what's being talked about here because of the idea of being called in one body. You see, I found that the peace, your inward peace, is not necessarily a good guide in your life. Have you ever considered Jonah? Jonah, he was the one that ran away from God, wanted to get away from his presence because God was calling him to share the kingdom of God to a people he did not like, he hated, and he, afraid, he was afraid that if he went there that they may repent and God would forgive them, and he hated that. And so he wanted to run away from that. Interesting enough, when he does so, he gets into a boat and says, I want to go. What's the opposite direction? Okay, Tarshish, that's the opposite direction. He gets in the boat and the storms come and the sailors are all very anxious, very anguished to the point where they are praying. And what's Jonah doing? The Bible says that Jonah is asleep in the boat. Was Jonah at peace? Yes. He had resigned himself that he is no longer struggling with God. And so, bam, when you stop struggling with God, guess what? There becomes a little bit of a peace in your heart, isn't there? I'm going to go to sleep. Yes, storms are coming, but you know what? I don't care. I'm just sleeping. Everyone else is praying, not Jonah. What does it tell you? This inward subjective peace isn't always the right guide. I've talked to couples and said, you know what? I'm tired of struggling. I'm keeping our marriage together. And I'm just going to go away and stop trying. And I've felt such inward peace ever since. That must be God's hand of approval in my life. The problem with that is very contrary to what God says in his word. And so what we're not talking about is an inward subjective peace. He's talking about the peace of God to which you've been called in one body. That which brings the peace among the church body under Christ. What governs your attitude, what governs your actions, what governs your priorities is simply the question, is this going to help establish the peace of Christ in our life? Now, this is not just some vague peace. There is the peace that is just the cessation of war. All right? War's ended, so there's the peace. We're not just talking about peace at all costs. We're talking about the peace of Christ. Under Christ will this 
calls peace. And so the constant question we're asking is, if I go in this way, if I say this, if I do this action, if I'm working in this ministry, if I don't work in this ministry, if I say or don't say, whatever attitude I have, I want to make sure that the peace of Christ is prevailing. In fact, the word there, rule, is the word for where we, the understanding we get for umpire. (laughs) Isn't that great? It's The peace of Christ is the umpire of your life. And so in life, if you're asking the question, is this going to cause the peace of Christ in our body to which I've been called in one body, and there is a sense of foul, (laughs) uh, this is going to disrupt the peace of Christ, then it rules in our life. That's what Christ does. That's humility. That's meekness. What matters is the peace of Christ ruling in our life. Why? Because this one body is the holy body. It's the beloved body. It's the chosen body. We see it from God's perspective. This is not just a collection of people. This is a collection of people that God's brought together. And so the peace matters. It rules in our heart. What rules in your heart? Our default is what we want to do. What is comfortable that is the default. Come what may, let others figure it out. I'm going to do this. This changes for the believer. Now the default is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. It rules. Now, we keep on going. I, I think about that phrase, and be thankful. And be thankful. The next three points all have thankfully in it. Submit to the peace of Christ, thankfully. Soak up God's word, thankfully. See all of life as a spiritual act, thankfully. Thankfulness is something of which carries in all that we do. We looked at this passage back in Thanksgiving and talked about the value of giving thanks. It is the expression of faith before God. One of the things we look for in your life, in my life, when there is a lack of growth spiritually, usually you can trace it back if you were looking at one of the seed thoughts as a lack of gratitude and no longer seeing what God has done. And all that you can see is what you don't have. And it can find yourself in rather absurd situations. I think about this often in our family. Why do children cry? I found that in our family, children will cry when the socks are not just right. They'll cry. It's bunched up. It's not quite there. The children will cry when the hood has been placed on their head upon, from their shirt. You put the hood on it, they'll cry. You put a hat on it, they might cry. You put a coat on, they'll cry. You uh, get buckled. You buckle the seat. They don't like that. They'll cry. You, you let one food item touch another food item on the plate. They'll cry. Um, you know, if you come to our house and you park in a certain spot in our driveway, well, I will have one child cry because that's his play spot. And he'll let you know. Somewhere along the way, there's this focus of no longer what they have, but what they don't have that they feel entitled to. Just to help get some this visual, um, yeah, you think, that's one of my favorite ones. 
when you can't have more bacon, um, this child can express maybe what some of us feel uh, right there. We, we keep on, and there's, there's more images of this. Um, I went and let her eat the fly swatter. Uh, you see this? I mean, look at their faces. Look at the next face. It's just this. Really? Uh, I wouldn't let him chew on my iPhone. Um, and, and then one more. Uh, he didn't want to share his leg hole. We see these faces just like, really? Wow. Okay, thank you. But you know what bothers us is when we see that and we ask, what's the difference? What's the difference to whatever it is that I get fed up about? We look at that and we think, well, you know, I've learned that I shouldn't really get all bent out of shape like that. I used to do that, and I did. I kind of remember things like that. Getting bent out of shape about things like that. I remember, and I've learned now that they're not the big deal that I thought they were. And because at my mind, all I wanted was what I wanted. And I never could see what I already had. Church, when we say, I can't share my ministry with you. You can't share your room with me. You can't share these resources with me. That that music wasn't like how I wanted it to be. (sighs) We're not laughing anymore. It's not as funny when we look at it from ourselves. He says, as we look at this, Be thankful, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How many of us thank God for the church? I appreciate so much what Matt and Jerrica had to share, their testimony to say. Have you ever considered what it would be like without a church? So many of us focus on church ought to be this, and needs this, and it needs this ministry, and it needs this leadership and it needs this service and we start having our grocery list of what the church needs and the problem is i don't really see it in the bible what's the minimal definition of a church well a group of people saved by the spirit of god working in them they're committed they've made a covenant to walk together under the leadership of christ and those to whom they see god brings to their church body and then A commitment to the mission. Worship of God. Through the ordinances. And proclaiming the word. Pretty much it. And what are so many church splits and arguments about? It's usually something other than that. Be thankful. Thank God. For what God has given to you. Consider what you have. And don't focus on what you don't have. To say, if I have that, then I will be happy. You're called in one body and be thankful. And then verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So so this is now the, the fourth uh, point of what does Christ look like. Well, 
the word of Christ dwells in you richly. When the spirit of God is reigning in our life, the spirit of Christ is, is dominating, the word of God dominates. The word of Christ dominates in our life. I, I, you can't get past the fact when you see the example of Jesus walking on this earth, he had things memorized. He had the word of God memorized. He had Deuteronomy memorized. Uh, and then had it committed to his heart and mind and went to it and was practiced. And, and so should we think that some way that now that I've got the spirit of Christ, I'm not going to memorize scripture? I'm not going to let the word of God dwell in me richly. If Jesus did it, if he needed to memorize verses, I need to memorize verses. I need to let the word of God dwell in me richly. Now, I've shared with you before, and, and Colossians 2, it's not these disciplines that makes a difference. It's Christ. So it's not the discipline of scripture memory itself. It's, it's the desire. I want Christ. I want Christ working in my life, and I know Christ can speak to me through the word of God. And so I let it dwell. It's to make itself at home in our life. It's interesting. When you compare this passage, uh, verse 16, teaching, monitoring one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then just put your finger there and go to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, verse 18 through 21. It's amazing, the parallel. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Isn't it amazing? You can almost get this confused. And interesting enough, he goes on. And both of those passages going in detail of specific roles of what this looks like. Father, mother, uh, uh, boss, employee. So when you put these two together, you could see that being filled with the Spirit of God and letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly are parallel. The Spirit of God is not going to take you where the Word of God forbids. The Spirit of God... Be working in your life to help you fulfill the law of God, chief of which is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They go hand in hand. So listen, you cannot be much with God if God's word is not much in you. Do not expect many things happening with God working your life if you do not have the discipline of God's word in your life. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as a teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so not only is it in our life personally, but in our church body, our community needs to be focused around the word of God. Which is one of the things I love about our corporate time together. That is a large segment dedicated to what does the word of God say and understanding it. Our small groups is about teaching the word of God and understanding and applying it in our life. It must be for the church to have Christ at work. It must have the word of God dwelling, making itself at home in our church body. And in our life individually. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. There is a role of which we are to encourage one another and share the word of God with one another in this. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And so one of the things I bring out is that we must sing the gospel truths of an eternal, all-knowing, all-wise, holy God who loves us as his marred creation. 
and exchanges our sin for his righteous record expressed through his son and paid the penalty of his wrath on the cross and, and but the power of god was greater and resurrected christ and extended his spirit to make all uh, uh, sons and in christ risen with him songs that bring that out all those truths when we talk about the gospel song but it's just not talking about songs that have the word gospel in it it's not just under the category gospel it is to sing about the gospel and what i've just shared with you these truths of god one of the things that's convicted me is that if we look at our hymns sometimes and we think you know what could i just change the word allah and it would work in a muslim context for a church of christ we must sing about christ we must sing about what he has done and is doing in our life and I'm not saying any song that doesn't mention the name of Christ is wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. But in a corporate setting, there needs to be the lifting up of Christ. The question is not the style. It is not the instrumentation. It's not the voices. It's not whether it's old. It's not whether it's new. These things are of the world. They are passing. They are passing things. They're, they're generational things. But it's no longer are we a church of the young generation or church of the old generation. It is are we a church of Christ? Christ is all and in all. And so the question is no longer instrumentation and styles and age and hymns, new versus old. It's simply is this lifting up Christ? Is this is engaging our community? Are we able to sing it? Are we able to understand it? Let's invite the presence of Christ. That's, that's it. That's the heart of it. And I'm just warning us because our culture as church in America is dealing with this is that it's all about the styles and it's no longer is Christ all and in all. It's, well, you know what? That song just didn't really move me to God. The song never was supposed to move you to God. Christ does that. The song is the expression of Christ in our life. It is how we encourage one another. And so we're to do this, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Say, God, thank you, I can sing. I can worship you and I can do it with others and I want to sing unto you. And God, are you the object of my worship? Are you the object of my praise? You know, Donald Miller, uh, he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. There's some good things in that. There's some helpful things. There's some things a little off. Uh, but he came out with a, a blog uh, not too long ago, and he just questions the validity of, of why meet with a certain group of people at a certain amount of time. And he makes this statement that honestly just didn't get much out of singing. And, you know, when you think about it, there are better voices. You listen to the radio, there's better songs sometimes out there, songs that we know. Uh, there's messages that are, you can go at any moment, any time, and hear someone that can teach better than me. It's there. It's offered. So you're not here for the quality of the teaching. You're not here for uh, the, 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 the beauty of the song. And we start thinking, well, why are we here? Can I just, I don't, you know, do I have to dress up? Can I just do this in my pajamas at my home? Or can I just go out in the woods, put my iPod on and listen to this? And, and so there's this question that he's putting out there of, why do I, I'm not getting much out of this. And I read this passage though, and I say, you know what? That's great if you're thinking from your perspective. But when I read the word of God, there is not an if this works for you. It just tells you sing. It's a command. 
I don't do it to get me to God. I do it because God has come to me. And it's an expression. You sing because it's obedience and you just lift it up to him. It's not whether or not I'm, I'm I mean, I got the chill bumps that day. This is not a chill bump thing. This is an obedience to God and what God is working in our life. Chill bumps can happen. It's great when it does. Worship is emotions. It's a part of it. But it is obedience. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Is the word of the Wall Street Journal or World Magazine or the Wired Magazine or David Brooks or David Letterman or David McCullough or John Stonbike or, or John Calvin or, or Twitter or Times or Facebook or Forbes or Instagram or Fox News or Richard Dawkins or, or Richard Branson or Richard Baxter or Bono or Bach or Blogs or are any of these things dwelling you more richly than the word of Christ? Sometimes we make this subtle shift of, uh, he's talking about the word of God, so it's good. Or this is a Christian magazine, or, or this is a conservative news source. You know, I can tell the people who listen to, Richard, uh, listen to Rush Limbaugh more than they listen to Christ. You can tell the people who are absorbed more by Fox News than they are by Christ. There's no longer a compassionate heart. There's no longer a kindness. There's no longer a humility. It is, there's the enemy. It's this harshness. What you fill your heart and mind with matters. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. You might be impressive at a dinner party or around a conference table or at a small group, but you're poor. You're storing up dust. Set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. And then verse 17. See all of life as a spiritual act. Thankfully. Thankfully. And whatever you do. It's like, just in case I missed anything else. Whatever else. It's all encompassing. You do. It's personal. Do. It's action. It's not just what you're thinking about. What are the activities of your day? This is where the little decisions of your life matters. It's where your life is lived. It's where Christ is lived. In the little decisions of your life. There's nothing too small here. Whatever you do. In word. Are indeed. Comprehensive. The things that you say, the jokes that you make, the little comments that you give, the information you pass on are the activities you do, the priorities you make them in, the things that you buy, the things that you give, uh, the things that you sell, uh, and how you meet with people, and all that you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's His glory. It's His glory. Why? Because no longer does it matter, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, all things belong to Christ. And we who have the Spirit of Christ in us are to live unto Christ in all things. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, the glory's changed. The glory's changed. What do we live for? What do we put out? What do we brag in? I um, 
theory that uh, the more depressed a person is usually related to how many selfies a person makes. I'm not just talking about pictures, but life, mentality. You know what I'm talking about selfies? Some of you don't know. A selfie is when you just take a picture of yourself and you put it up somewhere. It reflects that, yeah, it's about me, the camera. But it's not just whether you took a picture of yourself, is it? It's how we live life. Is this really about me? Is the church about me? Is the business about me? Is my family about me? Is the house about me? Is the car about me? Is the music about me? Are these decisions in my life about me? Is the grocery store about me? Is that parking lot about me? Is this lane on the traffic about me? How dare you? You have come upon mine. And let me lash out with all the wrath that I have. Selfies are easy to identify on camera, but they're all throughout our life. Put in next to this. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let the pictures of your heart and mind not be you, but Christ, Jesus. The thing is, you can't put pictures of Jesus on your Facebook, can you? You could put pictures of Jesus on the internet. But God's put it. God's done it. You're it. He's put pictures of himself up. Not in the virtual world. In the real world. He's putting pictures up of himself through you. Christ and you. The hope of glory. The Spirit of God working in your life. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It is about His glory. And so, those who are about the glory of Jesus are always able to give thanks to God the Father through Him. Amazingly. Even in misery even in hardships, even when all the world says to you, I don't know how you can deal with that. The believer who has Christ in them knows that it's okay because Christ is at work in this and that even this hard, difficult thing, that God has the power to transform it into something good and I believe by faith He will. Now hold on to that. It's my hope. I don't know how it's going to happen. Don't ask me how. I don't know how. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I have the assurance of the word of God. It's going to happen. And so I have hope. And I've got my mind set on things above. So I'm not being dictated by the circumstances around me. Of who likes me. Who doesn't like me. Who, who is working against me. Who's not working against me. I'm not focused on that. That's not dominating my mindset. I'm dominated by the mindset of Christ. Where he's reigning. He's sitting on the throne. It's there. It says in the word of God. And one day he's going to take this misery. This oppression. This inequity. And he's going to turn it into something glorifying to him. I hold on to that. And so. I give thanks. To God. Father through him, through Jesus. Because only in Jesus that's going to happen. And I've shared with you before that if you don't have Christ in your life, then the good things of this life becomes a curse. 
If Christ is not working in your life, sweet-smelling food, beautiful scenes, flowers, beautiful relationships and families, these things become a curse because God is saying, I gave you grace, I gave you good things, and you rejected Christ, you rejected my son, so now you are held accountable for all the good that has come to you, and now you are condemned. It is only because of Christ that the good things of this world become God-glorifying things. And apart from Christ, even the best things of this world becomes condemnation. This world will be the closest to hell people who are in Christ will ever endure. This world will be the closest to heaven people apart from Christ will ever experience. And the difference is Christ. So we give thanks to God, the Father, through Him. What does Christ look like? Christ looks like a thankful person who sees every act as a spiritual act to be done unto the glory of God. He sees every person who is in Christ as beloved and holy and set apart for Him. Uh, He he goes on and he sees reason to give thanks and songs. And he sees the word of God dwelling richly uh, in him and in the church. The Christ working in this and this church sees the peace of Christ as that which he's called to. And is called to in one body and therefore rules in his heart and life. And he sees and he's showing Christ and his relationship with one another. That's what Christ looks like. If we have questions, well, I'm a mom, I'm a father, I'm a child, I'm a boss. Well, that's what verse 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and the rest of the chapter is talking about. Lord willing, we'll get there. Let's pray.